Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. I want to talk to you this morning about humility, the pathway to promotion. And it really comes from a message that I shared almost 10 years ago. In fact, half of the notes come from a message I shared 10 years ago. And I want to tell you that I have a very big concern about arrogance and pride growing both in our nation, in our movement, and even in our own church. And so I want us to pray about this, this message. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes and our ears. Lord, that we wouldn't be resistant when you correct us, when you direct us, when you mold us, and when you reveal us. Lord, that we would have the courage to actually look into our own hearts and lives and make adjustments in our own life. Amen. Um, Why don't you turn to Isaiah chapter 6. I want to talk to you first about an encounter that Isaiah had some 500 years before Christ. In verse 1, it opens like this. In the year year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, two that covered his face, two that covered his feet, and two with which they flew. And one called to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, The foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. I love the story for lots of reasons. And it's a story of that, that, you, that King Uzziah, when King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. And he, when he was in the presence of the Lord, he began to realize that he's in a people, he's, he's amongst a people of unclean lips, and that it has actually affected his own speech. And he realizes that their attitude has affected his attitude and his speech. And he begins to cry out, I'm a man of unclean lips. Who will help me? And the Lord comes, if you, as you know, with this coal, puts it on his lips and says, no, more, no longer are you a man of unclean lips, but you have, your iniquity has been taken away and your sins have been forgiven. And then the Lord says to him, who shall I send? And who will go for me? And he says, send me. I, I'd like to just uh, start there and, and propose to you that we live among people with unclean lips. That we are inundated with people who do not have kingdom mindsets. We often spend two, three hours a day listening and watching and reading news. And, you know, we'll spend three hours watching, reading, and, and listening to news and three minutes reading our Bible and then think it's not going to affect us. And I'd propose that it, do, it, that it does affect us. 
That when, we, that when we come outside the presence of God, we grow things in our lives that we don't even know we're growing till we get in the presence of God and realize my lips are in, aren't any different than their lips. What I say is no different than the way what they say. What I think, I think just like them. And I don't even realize it. I'm like a frog put in cold water would turn up the heat and I'm being boiled in this attitude of arrogance. And I don't even realize it. It says in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 26, we're going to share quite a few verses, so you might want to take some notes. It says in, 20, in the in 26th chapter that Uzziah became king when he was 16. Now, if you've read the book of Kings or the Chronicles of the Kings, you probably know that most of the kings didn't do very well. <laughs> it would be like bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, pretty good king, bad king, bad king, bad king. <laughs> And Uzziah is one of those amazing stories. At 16 years old, he becomes king. Now, he has, a, he has a, uh, what the Message Bible calls a pastor, uh, but the uh, but, um, New American Standard calls him a priest, who is his partner, and his, his name is Zephaniah. And all the years that Zephaniah lived, and was his pastor, his priest, Uzziah's priest, it says that he walked with the Lord, and he walked, Uzziah, walked in all the ways of the Lord. But then something happened. Zephaniah died. And when Zephaniah died, the king began to lose touch with his humility and his righteousness. Now, it's kind of a sad story in, on lots of, in lots of ways, because in verse 6, it says that, of chapter 26, it says that you, Uzziah, that God was so with Uzziah, that God even gave him ideas for war machines. Let me read you a few of the verses. It says that under his direction, there was an elite army of 300,000 soldiers who could wage war with great power and help the king against his enemies. Moreover, Uzziah prepared all the armies with shields and spears and helmets and body armor and bows and slings, uh, slings that, could th that could throw stones. In Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Hence, his fame spread abroad, for he was marvelously helped until he was very strong. Did you get that? Like Uzziah was one of those kings that he actually defended Israel against his enemies, and he actually became famous for war machines that protected the Israelites in the name of God. And all of this was amazing. And then Zephaniah, his pastor, his priest died, and the fall of Uzziah begins. It says this in verse 16. When he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he even entered the temple of the Lord and burnt incense on the altar of incense. Then, then Uzziah, the priest, entered after him, and with him 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, for the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary. You have been unfaithful. You have no honor in the, with the Lord God. But Uzziah, with a censer in his right hand, burning incense, was enraged. Well, he, enraged, he was enraged with the priest. And then leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord, beside the altar of incense. 
Uzziah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him and behold he was leprous on his forehead and they hurried him out of there and he himself hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him and King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death he lived in a separate house being a leper for he was cut off from the house of the Lord and Jotham his son was over the king's house judging the people of the land this is such a sad story Here's a great king who God blessed him. But then something happened in his heart. He became arrogant and prideful. He began to think that he should be, he he began to feel entitled that if he was king, then he was in charge of everything. He begins to, he begins to not be satisfied with just being king. He needs more. He's, he's grabbing for power and and being and promoting himself self-promotion and arrogance in his heart and he begins to say i'm king i should also be a priest and he goes into the temple in that in those days where only the priests who were consecrated themselves should go and he begins to offer incense and the priests are like they gather around they're like no 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 you're king but you want the priest like stay in your lane but he wouldn't listen he wouldn't listen and he breaks out with leprosy. I'm saying, thank God for the New Testament. Thank God for the New Covenant. But in the New Covenant, more than seven times, this phrase is used. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I propose that God doesn't cause leprosy on people, but God is still opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Ten years ago, my text was this verse. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold. And each man is tested by the praise accorded him. I like the way the message Bible puts it. The purity of silver and gold is tested by putting them in the fire. The purity of human hearts is tested by giving them a little fame. Abraham Lincoln said, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. God has blessed us. We are growing like we've grew just in just in people alone. We've grown 2000 people in three years. Our movement is growing. I'm concerned for the spirit of entitlement that I see growing in all of us. I'm concerned about it. In Exodus chapter four, Moses and God are having a conversation. And this is when God's trying to get Moe to go back and talk to Pharaoh. And you know, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house, so it's not too easy to minister to your own friends, right? We all know. And so, and so Moses is telling God, you know, I, I can't speak very well. I'm not very good at this. And, and God's like, you're going. I, I said you're going, you know. And, and Moses is like, oh God, please send someone else. And then finally Moses says, well, what am I going to say? Like if I say, let God's people go, and he doesn't, and he says, no, then what I do? And God says, what's in your hand? He goes, the staff. He said, throw it down. He throws the staff down, and it becomes a snake. And he runs from the, snap, from the staff, and God says, go back and pick it up by the tail. Now, how many understand that if you live in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, you've probably seen lots of snakes. And one thing you don't do is pick it up by the tail. God says, pick it up by the tail. How many understand that that staff wasn't just a stick? 
It represented his occupation. He was a shepherd. This is what he was good at. How many understand that your greatest weakness is your strength overemphasized? God said, grab it by the tail because God was teaching him, your strength is a snake. It will come back and bite you. You didn't hear what I just said, did you? I'm saying your greatest weakness is your strength overemphasized. My strength overemphasized. There's something about weakness. There's something about frailty. You know, we take all these tests. I really like them. We do this disc test and, you know, people get an idea of how their personality works. And we do this Briggs-Myers test sometimes. And we do the strength finders. And we gave everybody on our staff or most everyone on our staff, uh, uh, the Strength Finders book, and we all took the Strength Finders test to see where your five strengths are. What are your five greatest strengths, you know? Everyone's like, what's your five greatest strengths? And what's your five greatest strengths? And, you know, we were always kind of, it was all kind of cool. And then I had this thought, you know, and by the way, I still like it, but I think we should write a book. What are, you know, the weakness book. Here's your five greatest weaknesses. This is where you're likely to be used by God. Because how many understand, you are not just your strengths. You are your divinely placed weaknesses. In fact, Paul said, I'd rather brag about my weakness because where I'm weak, he is strong. And he is my, his strength is perfected when I'm weak. And what I'm getting at is this. Sometimes we create this kind of culture where we don't realize it, but, but we are growing in, in, in our gifts, which is good. But we're also growing in a sense of independence and arrogance, and entitlement. Years ago, I had a dream. And in the dream, I, uh, I, uh, I saw this big syringe, this big needle in my arm. It was about a foot long. You know how dreams are, so weird. And on the side of the, of the syringe, it said gratitude. I woke up out of the dream. I was, <gasps> I was having a panic attack. And I said, and I, and I thought, you know, from the needle. And I said, God, what is, oh, thank you, baby. Why I married you. <laughs> Take care of my boogers. <laughs> I woke up and I said, and I was like, I was like, I was, you know, how many have ever had a dream like that? You wake up, you're just like, <gasps> some of you are like, no, I've, I have a pure heart. I've never had a dream like that. I woke up and I was in a panic and I said, God, is that you? He said, yeah. He said, uh, he said you, had, you caught some diseases and I'm, and I'm inoculating you from them. And I said, what diseases did I catch? He said, entitlement, bitterness, resentment, apathy, anger, unforgiveness, jealousy, competition, pride, arrogance, conceit, and suspicion. <laughs> Scared the bejeebers right out of me. And the Lord said, but don't worry about it, because I gave you inoculation of thankfulness. And I, I, I learned, like, that night, I realized, like, you can't be thankful and be arrogant. You can't be thankful and have unforgiveness. Because if you're thankful, you realize that somebody gave you something you don't deserve. Proverbs 16 says, A man's gift will make room for him and bring him before kings and great men. But Proverbs 23 says, When you get to a king, when you get in the presence of a king, put a knife to your throat 
and do not desire his delicacies because his food is deceptive. In other words, God says, I'm going to bring you before kings, but when you get there, you better keep a knife to your throat. You better not let arrogance grow in your life. You better not desire his food. You know, the disciples had this ongoing struggle with greatness. <laughs> when they found, when they started following Jesus, they all argued about who's the greatest. Now, I can understand a few alpha males, like, you know, or alpha women, what do they call alpha females? Yeah, that's true, though, right? You have alpha females? We do now, because I said it, just made it up, Holy Spirit. The anointing was on me, and we had alpha females and alpha males. We just have people who are like, they just take their, their, their confidence to another level. And Jesus was forever, over and over, doing things to teach them that greatness is actually bred in humility. And one time they come to Jesus, and you can imagine it's right, I imagine at least it's after a big argument. And it says, in that time Jesus said to them, they said to them, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Disciples come to Jesus. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is so funny. Like this is coming from private arguments they have. Well, I think I'm better, and Peter thinks he's better. Thomas doubts everything. <laughs> and Jesus takes the child. You know the story. He brings the child, and he sits in front of them. And then he says this to them. They're asking, who's the greatest? Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you can't even enter the kingdom. And then he, he makes this statement. Whoever then humbles himself as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. How many of you know the goal of Christianity is to be guided by the rudder, not the whip? Jesus gives them another parable in chapter 14. I mean, this is ongoing. Like, Jesus wants them to be confident. He wants them to know who they are. But he also wants them to stay low and to, and to give preference to one another. In chapter 14 of the uh, book of Luke, he began telling them a parable about invited guests when he noticed that they were picking the places of honor at the table, saying, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished may come, who, who, I'm sorry, someone more distinguished may have been invited by him, and you who invited will be both, uh, <coughs> and he who invited you both will come and say, give up this place to this man, and in disgrace you will proceed to occupy the last place. But when you're invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when he who, is invited, he who invited you comes, he will say to you, my friend, move up higher, and then you will have honor in the sight of everyone at the table. Listen to the last, the last verse. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What I'm getting at is this. God, God sometimes we think we're, that, we're, that we're under warfare, like the enemy is is reducing us, and sometimes it's God. Sometimes we think we're wrestling with the devil, and we look up higher, and we see the face of the Lord. Because the Lord is actually opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I remember, I, I was raised in a Spanish family. Anyone else raised in a Latin family? And in our family? <laughs> Come on, baby. In our family, the patriarch and matriarch were to be honored. I don't remember whoever told me that. I just grew up in a culture of honor. My grandfather had a chair in his house that he sat in. And no one was allowed to sit on that chair if my grandfather was in the house. Now, if he was outside, you could sit in it. But if he came in, even the back door, and stayed in the kitchen, you had to get out of the chair. And if there's no other chairs, you sit on the floor. 
It was just kind of a thing like you didn't want to inconvenience my grandfather to have to, him to have to ask you to get out of his chair. So as a child, I can remember even being four, five, six years old, my grandfather would come in the house and I had to get out of his chair. No one told me. I Probably they did tell me at some point, but you just didn't sit there. At Thanksgiving and Christmas, you were required to come to grandpa's house. And at least give some time for honor. You didn't have to stay for, for everything, but you had to at least have dinner, according to my grandmother. And eat more than you wanted to. It was all part of honor. And I still remember, like, there was a table that probably held, I don't know, 10, 12 people. Um, and then there was the card tables. There would be two or three of those with the folding chairs. And then there was the plywood with the buckets. My grandma would throw a tablecloth over them. And that was for the children. And so, you know, when you, when you came to dinner, like the adults, the elders, they sat at the table, the real table with real chairs. And the younger kids sat at the card tables. I remember being about 15 and deciding I got there first and I sat at the big table. <laughs> you, know, you know it was a real memory because I can still remember it. <laughs> it's the only, the only Thanksgiving dinner I ever remember. And I'm sitting at the big table, and here comes the elders, and you know all the all the elders, and they're all sitting down, the older family, and and all of a sudden, they're all looking at me like nobody said anything; they're just looking, <laughs> kind of like you can't be that stupid. <laughs> no one said anything to me. I got up, and by the time I got up, the table was full, so I had to sit at the plywood. This is, this is the Matthew 18 story played out. Someone more distinguished came into the room and I had to sit with the plywood with the little children. There was something about honor. I was taught to, to honor elders. I was taught to also honor women. Uh, my, mama, my mama raised me. Uh, I couldn't pass through a door before a woman. So if I was walking with a woman, I had to let her pass. First, even if she was a few feet behind, I stopped and let her pass. I remember this one time, we, I got out of the car, and my grandmother, and my sister, and my mom was with me. My mom went in the house first, and my grandmother was walking slow. And so I just ran in the house and opened the screen door. Remember the screen doors? We used to have screen doors before air conditioning, right? And I opened the screen door and ran inside, and it's, it, it, uh, my grandmother was behind me, and it you know, hit my grandmother. It didn't hurt her or anything, but the next thing I saw was the five-fold ministry. Whack! <laughs> My mama didn't say anything. She just gave me the fivefold ministry. Whack! Across the face. Like, what, what happened to you, son? You know, this used to be called discipline. You know, now it's, we negotiate and we have shootings. But anyway, uh, I got walked right out, opened the door for my grandmother, apologized to her, and my grandmother went in. I still, I still have that. I'm, post-traumatic stress from that <laughs> all the ladies on staff know like I ridiculously let women pass now it's like they're they're like back 30 feet I'm like I still see my mama I'm just saying there's something about the culture that we lived in we're becoming we're being trained by people with unclean lips and we're becoming people who aren't clean we, we, we criticize and attack people we set ourselves up as judges of people. It's so crazy. We judge everybody. We don't even know people. We get on Facebook and say terrible things to people we don't even know. 
Our president, our mayors, our governors. They, it's like, I understand we live in a free country, but even freedom should be inside of values. You know, I don't think that fame and fortune, I don't think that favor, I don't think that money creates arrogance. I think it reveals it. I remember years ago, we lived in this little tiny house, and, we had, and we had, there was a patch of land that was probably half the size of this, this, this stage right here. And Kathy said, hey, I want to I plant some strawberries. And that, we were there for a year. That, that ground grew nothing for a year. She said, I want to, I'd like to plant some strawberries there. Would you put a drip system in? So yeah, so we went hardware store and got a little drip system and you know, we cultivated the soil a little bit and put the drip system in and Kathy bought some small strawberry plants and put, you know, I don't remember how many, 10, 15, 20 little plants in there. And three weeks later, the plants were covered with weeds. That, that ground never grew weeds. Some people are like, it's the strawberries. Strawberries are evil. No, the culture that grew strawberries grew weeds. When we created a culture that grew things, the seeds that were already in the soil got watered. See, sometimes we're like, well, if you get money, if you get fame, if you get notoriety, you're going to become arrogant. Well, you may become arrogant, not because those things made you arrogant, but because they watered something that was already there. See, the culture that creates greatness also creates arrogance. The antidote isn't to pull out the strawberries. Did you get the metaphors? Pretty deep. Hopefully you watching by Bethel TV got it better than the all here. The goal isn't to say, well, we just don't want to be great. You know, let's just be all losers. Yeah, we never had this problem when we were losers. You never had any problem when you were a loser except for you were a loser. And sometimes our response to that is, let's just have nobody be great. Let's just feel bad about ourselves. It's like, that's not the point. When Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about himself in, in chapter 4 of Daniel. And this dream was about, in the dream, he saw a tree. This big, huge tree, and the birds were in it. And all this beautiful foliage was around him. And then all of a sudden, in the dream, he saw watchers who said, in the dream, cut down the tree and leave only the stump. He tells Daniel, I had this dream. I don't know who it's about. I don't know what it's about. He tells Daniel the dream. Daniel immediately has a panic attack and says to Nebuchadnezzar, oh, I wish this dream was about your enemies and not about you. And the king says, Daniel, tell me the dream. He says, you're the tree. You're this beautiful, huge tree and the birds are the nations that are taking refuge in you. But because of your arrogance and because of your pride, God's going to cut down that tree. And for seven seasons or seven periods or seven years, you're going to be like an animal until you realize that it is God who's the King of kings and Lord of lords. But Daniel says to him, why don't you try humbling yourself and maybe God will relent. He humbles himself for 12 months, but on the 12th month, he's on top of his castle, and he's looking over his kingdom, and he says to himself, I'm amazing. Look what I've built with my own hands. I am God is so 
happy he made me. That's my own rendition, by the way. Not accurate. And immediately he loses his mind. You know, have you seen, all of us have seen these transients just walking, these poor people just walking, they're out of their minds just talking to themselves. That was Nebuchadnezzar. And he actually grows his hair, becomes like feathers. And he's out with the beasts, he's out with the animals, living just out, and he's completely out of his mind. And after seven years, or seven seasons of time, as the Bible puts it, the Lord restores his mind. And I want you, I want you to listen to what Nebuchadnezzar wrote in his own journal. Isn't it awesome that the book of Daniel includes the notes of Nebuchadnezzar? Here's what Nebuchadnezzar writes when God returns his mind to him. At that time, my reason returned to me. And my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. <laughs> and my counselors and nobles began seeking me out, and I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true, his ways are just, and he's able to humble those who walk in pride. I love this, because if you didn't read the story, you'd think that's what he said before he fell. But help me understand that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. And here Nebuchadnezzar said, I have majesty, splendor, glory, and I have surpassing greatness and sovereignty. And now I know where it comes from. It comes from the Lord. How many know that Nebuchadnezzar was more confident because he knew where his source was? The goal of Christianity isn't to be guided by the rudder. I'm sorry, the goal of Christianity is to be guided by the rubber, not the whip. We're to manage our own hearts and our own lives. I, I, um, let me just give you five things about humility. Number one, humility towards God must be demonstrated in our relationship with people. Number two, great grace is reserved for the humble. How many of you know when you humble yourself, God gives you grace to be exalted? Number three, not only is God opposed to the proud, but pride is self-defeating. It's like rust that slowly rots the container. Proverbs 29 says this, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. How many understand that it isn't just that God's opposed to you, it's that pride's opposed to you. That pride is like poison. Number five, number four, God exalts us. God wants to exalt us. God's ultimate goal is that we would be great, amazing, and glorious. It's the reward for humility. And number five, humility plus nothing equals promotion. Humility plus nothing equals promotion. Let me, um, let me share with you uh, the signs of humility. Number one, you're teachable. How do I know if I'm humble? You're teachable. Number two, you're influenceable. Number three, you can be corrected without defending yourself. Number four, you rejoice when others are celebrated. I want to stop there for a minute. The other day, I was, uh, there was uh, some friends of mine been telling me about this preacher who's, who's really a, a, a young guy who has this tremendous ministry. And so the other day, I was, I was on, the, on my computer, and I, I Googled his name, and it came up, and I watched a YouTube video, and he's really good looking. He's young. He's cool. He's like everything I wish I was. And he preaches better than me. And he's got 30,000 people in his church. 
and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm watching him, and I'm watching this YouTube video, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I wish I was like that. And so I go over to Wikipedia, and I go right down to criticisms. And I see that he has critic- like people criticize him for this thing, for that thing, for this thing, for that thing. And as I'm reading the criticisms, I'm getting happy. And I stop, and I think, what the heck am I doing? What am I doing? First of all, this guy's on our side. He's in the kingdom. First of all. Secondly, what kind of heart is jealous of a brother who's doing better than him? What kind of, what, what am I growing in my strawberry patch? I seriously broke down and cried. I said, what, what's wrong with me? Like, what would cause me to be jealous of another man who's growing the same kingdom I am? And I began to realize there are weeds grow in our lives. We have all this stuff coming in. I'm entitled. I should have it. I should be that big. Why does he have it and I don't have it? Well, let me see if anyone else doesn't like him like they don't like me. Oh, that makes me feel better. He's got problems too. And I'm like, this is why we don't like good news. We don't like good news because it feeds that jealousy thing in us. It feeds that, those, those, it feeds that weed stuff in us. I stopped right there and I said, God, I'm, I'm really sorry. Like, I don't want to just be sorry. I want you to take this thing out of my life. That would cause me to be, to be upset that another brother is doing better than me. God, take this out of my life. Number six, you don't, you don't have to be right. Oh, number five, no job's too small for you. Number six, you don't have to be right. We are obsessed with being right. We are full gospel. Did you get that? We are full gospel. The connotation is you're not. We believe the whole Bible. You want to believe the whole Bible? Come to us. Like, we have the last revelation on... We understand... Oh, I see how quiet it is in here. Okay, I'll move on. You're having one of those painful moments. Listen, I'm glad we believe the entire Bible. I hope that everybody, that's a, every Christian leader thinks they believe the whole Bible. I don't think we have to name our church after we are right. Okay, now let's move on. Number seven, you, you naturally seek advice from others. Number eight, you actually do pray. Oh, so many people like fighting for prayer in school don't even pray at home. Number nine, you freely admit your flaws and mistakes and failures. Number 10, you live to help others. Number 11, you are not easily offended. Number 12, you have a thankful attitude. Should have put that one first. Number 13, you don't live with a sense of entitlement. You, you don't feel like someone owes you something. Number 14, you're quick to forgive and you don't hold grudges. Number 15, you are confident in who you are and content with who you're not. You know, adversity may be the mother of invention, but humility is the father of promotion. The other day, the last month, we watched a Supreme Court nominee go through a process. Now, I want to be clear. I don't know if the man should, should have been a judge or not been a judge. Like, I, I didn't study him. It wasn't my decision to make. It wasn't a vote that we had. 
So I only know what you know. But I was grieved over the process. And I wasn't grieved because of the way the world treated the process. I was grieved by the way believers treated the process. And I don't know, like, there was accusations around his life. You know, obviously, they, evidently they weren't true. But I was thinking, if they were true, they were 36 years ago. And the idea of, of forgiveness isn't confession as much as it is repentance. And repentance means I turn away from that life and I no longer live it. Did you hear what I just said? So if I have eight FBI probes into my life and the last thing you can find was 36 years ago, I would say I must have repented if I did do it. I'm concerned, and here's my concern. You think I'm talking about that judge. I'm not. I'm talking about hearts. And my concern is, is that if that man didn't qualify character-wise, I don't know that anyone in here qualifies to do anything. And I'm simply saying, I am concerned for our movement that, that the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod is seeping its way into our movement. And we're beginning to think just like the world. Now, if you think I'm making a political statement... And if you've been here for any length of time, if you've been here at least six years, you know that when President Obama did something awesome, I would say, love what our president did, love our president. And, I, and I've said to our many, many times and wrote on my social pages, I love our president. And that doesn't mean I agree with him. It means I love our president. I'm commanded to love and to pray for those in authority. That's my job. My job isn't to criticize them. My job is to pray for them. I live in a de democracy, so uh, it is my job to also disagree when I disagree. It's okay to disagree. I just want to be clear, like, it's okay to disagree. And if someone rapes women, if someone uh, abuses elders, if someone does sin, they should, there should be justice. I 100% protector of women. Obviously, grew up in a home where my, my mom was abused. I, 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 I'm a protector of women. I, but my only point is this, attitude. Do you realize that if you call for judgment on someone for his 36-year-old assumed maybe sins, do you realize that you just set the standard for you? Do you actually think that you can judge another person and not have God use that standard for you? Do you know how you will be judged in heaven? Do you have any idea how you'll be judged? Jesus gave us a little secret. He said, how you judge will determine how you're judged. In other words, when you get to heaven, God will go, here's what you said about Henry. Here's what you said about Mary. Here's what you said about your president. Here's what you said about your mayor. Okay, let's use that and we'll use it for you. <laughs> for me. <laughs> and I'm saying, listen, be a part of the political process. Vote, disagree, make statements about issues. No problem. But when you attack people's hearts, you better be careful. You better be careful because you have just determined what measure will be used to measure you. Be careful. And listen, if it's a Democrat, if it's a Republican, if it's independent, you're, many of you are from other countries, whatever party you may not be in your party, that's when you need to watch your heart the most. You need to watch your heart the most when the party you didn't vote for does something. When President Obama was president for a whole group of people, he couldn't do anything right. 
And if he did the right thing, he did it with the wrong motive. Or he did it too late. Or it cost too much. I'm like, can you guys see three hours of watching the news and three minutes of reading the Bible turns us into monsters? Critical monsters. I'm telling you the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Turning into critical monsters. Nobody can pass the judgments that we have for you. I'm like, that's arrogance. If you stay thankful, do you keep gratitude? If we keep gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts, if we remember where we came from, you remember what you did at 17? You remember what you did at 20? It used to be called a testimony. I'm afraid to give a testimony about my life. I don't qualify for anything ever. And listen, I want to tell you, I think that being transparent is really important. I told you that story about what happened to me three days ago about my arrogance. It's necessary. I realize that I will never win a political office with the way I operate. Because if you fail anywhere, you're not qualified. But I'm telling you, this is the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is that we be honest, we be transparent, and we don't just confess our sins, we move away from them. The scariest, I'll end with this, the scariest story in the Bible is my greatest hero. It's the story of David. We all know the story. He's a man after God's heart, unless he wasn't. Ultimately, big picture, he was a man after God's heart, but if you read the story, you know that he wasn't always. He had failures in his life, and some really bad failures. He kills, he, he sleeps with Bathsheba, gets her pregnant, kills her husband Uriah. And by the way, the name Uriah means God is my fire. And how many know when you kill Uriah, your fire went out? Nathan, his cousin, best friend, and, and prophet, comes to him and tells him the story, King David, and says, There's a, let me tell you the story about a man who was rich, and he owned all these sheep. And there was a, his neighbor was poor, just had one little sheep, and it was her pet. And a friend came from far away, and instead of taking a sheep from his own flock to make dinner for his friend, he took his neighbor's pet lamb, killed it, and ate it. And David says, that man should be killed. And Nathan said, and you were the man. The scariest thing, story, one of the scariest stories in the Bible is that a man after God's heart would heal a story that's obviously about him and have no idea the story's about him. Know what that does? It tells me that if David, a man after God's heart, can lose sight of his relationship with God and think about his, his best testimonies 10 years ago, he's still living He's still living on things he did 10 years ago and doesn't recognize he ain't even that man and he hadn't been that man for 10 years. This is arrogance and pride. How many understand what got us here is the only thing that will keep us here? And that is humility, serving other people, loving other people, and not letting the weeds take over our strawberries. You don't plant a garden and walk away from it. Oh, we're going to have some great fruit. We're going to have some great vegetables. Uh, No, what you're going to have when you come back, if you walk away from it three months later, is you're going to have weeds. How many understand? It's not like 
Well, let's just let go of greatness. Let's not try to be great. How about we just weed the garden? How about we just daily weed the garden? And when we see things in us, competition, jealousy, arrogance, entitlement, I should be in charge. I should be in charge of everything. I'm the king. I should be in charge of everything. I'd propose something's wrong. Yeah, but look at all the things I've done. I feed the poor. I've healed the sick. I do. I, I, I. Well, there's a lot of you in there, isn't there? And I think that when we have to use our past accomplishments to justify our present attitude, something's wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you. I'm simply saying that the nature of what God's doing in us is he's testing us with fame. He's testing us with influence. And I want to propose that there's a watering system in our garden now. It's really a good thing if you can weed the garden. I personally do not want to go back to a land with no strawberries. I don't want to go back to that land. But I also don't want the strawberries to be covered. The strawberries, the things that God has planned for my life, the good things, I don't want them taken over by weeds. Let's pray. Why don't you stand? Why don't you put your hand right on your heart as a prophetic declaration? And why don't you say this out loud? Holy Spirit, search me and see if there's anything in me that shouldn't be there. If there's pride or arrogance, entitlement, bitterness, unforgiveness, anything like that. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to first convict me of it and then lead me in the everlasting path, in the place of goodness and righteousness. And Holy Spirit, I humble myself today. I don't need you to humble me. I want to humble myself. <laughs> and I ask for you to prune my vine back to the place of fruitfulness. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.